presenting John Gabriel, the undisputed king of stuff. What is up, podcasts? An early Merry Christmas. Coming up in a few days, you might want to buy all the presents you're planning on buying for me. But great to have you join us. Thanks to American Musical Supply for sponsoring this show. You'll hear more from them later. Since it's Christmas coming up, I want to do something a little bit different. And so I invited Robert Nicholson. He's president and executive director of the Phylos Project. Now, the Phylos Project, their mission is to promote positive Christian engagement in the Near East by creating leaders, building community, and taking action in the spirit of the Hebraic tradition. Robert's also an advisory board member of In Defense of Christians. He co-founded Passages Israel and is an adjunct professor at the King's College in New York City. He's written all over the place. You can find all the links in the show notes. He also has launched a couple months back a new podcast for the Phylos Project, And it's called The Deep Map. All the links, once again, are in the show notes. Let's get to that interview. Robert Nicholson, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Um, I was unfamiliar with your project before, and I started reading about the Philos Project, and very impressed and unique as well. Why don't you tell us about the Philos Project and what it's all about? Well, thanks, John. It's really great to be on uh, the program We started the organization back in 2014. The mission is to promote positive Christian engagement in the Near East, which is uh, the Middle East and and then some. And the project started really uh, out of a feeling I had that the conversation about this part of the world, this exceptionally important part of the world, where literally, you know, three continents touch uh, a region from which all of these ideas, all these religions have have spread out to shape the world. The conversation of, around that region in the United States at that time was very was very negative, very low, very a, a feeling of this region's bad. We've spent a lot of time at this at that point in Afghanistan and Iraq, and like let's just leave well enough alone and and do nation building at home. Democrats and Republicans, by the way, feeling this way, like they don't like us, they hate us, just leave it. And and meanwhile, I realized that, you know, what happens in this part of the world affects us, whether we like it or not. In the meantime, our whole civilization comes from the Near East, right? Western civilization, where does it come from? Obviously, you know, Rome plays a role, Athens plays a role, but those things only make sense to us because of what happened in Jerusalem. All our ideas about justice and equality and freedom, they, they only come from one place. And I realized that if we don't have a better way of engaging this part of the world, not only are there going to be continued and even increased threats to our country, but we as as Christians, and we're a Christian organization, ecumenical in our, in our stance, are really cutting ourselves off from the origin of of our values, the values that we in America are trying to revive in these kind of chaotic times. And so there's like a two-way street here. On one way, we are helping the region and, you know, dealing with all the issues there. We're actually helping ourselves. It's kind of like going back to the place you were born and saying, oh, right, yes, this is what my faith is all about. This is where Jesus grew up. You know, these are the values. This is the context from which he came. And for me, it's, it's that dialogue that we're trying to to foster here at the Philos project through a number of, of different initiatives. 
Yeah, well, it's very important work. I know my eldest daughter went to a classical academy. It's a charter school out here in the Phoenix area. And when I walked in for the first tour of the campus, they had a huge painting, classical painting, and above it was written Rome, Athens, Jerusalem. And I was like, Mm. okay, this is the place. (laughs) This is very good (laughs) because it really... These are the pillars of our entire civilization is just understanding that. And this part of the world, it's always been a crossroads of the world. And like you said, it has been almost like uh, the birthplace of so much of what's going on in the world. And sometimes that can be messy, as we've seen. But um, it's a lot more diverse than certainly our news give it credit for. I'm well, about two and a half years ago. I started attending um, or I became a member of the Antiochian Orthodox Church, which is based Mm. originally out of Antioch. And um, Mm -hmm. it's kind of funny because, you know, when you have the online wars and people are like, oh, you horrible white evangelical Christians. I'm like, yeah, most people I go to church with, like basically our boss is Mm. an Arab guy. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. there's a Mm -hmm. lot of other things going on there. Um, so why so did you, you talk so you about get it, John. what's that? That's, that's I said, you get it. Most Christians are vaguely aware that there are other Christians in that part of the world. But for the most part, people think Catholic Protestant. Right. And in, in the U.S. Exactly. That's just most of. But there's these tremendous, tremendous riches locked up kind of in the basements, metaphorically speaking, of these eastern churches. And I can say just personally, even beyond my work, I've been incredibly um, enriched by my encounter with these churches, their testimony in the face of, of uh, persecution and even beyond the persecution, just the things that they've conserved from the past that many of us in the West have just kind of forgotten about and moved on from. Right. Right. It's funny too, because I can be at church talking about, Oh gosh, someday I'd love to visit the Holy land. That'd be an amazing experience. You're like, Oh really? Yeah. You can stay with my uncle. And like, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, they're still uh, they're still doing things there. It's not just ancient history anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. Could you tell us more, too, about Abraham's Missing Child, that initiative that Philo's Project has been working on? It's a great segue, actually, because the the persecution or, or let's say the decline of these Eastern Christian communities has been going on for, well, for a long time, really, since the the seventh century, but has picked up pace in the last hundred years, especially after the Turkish genocide. And uh, especially since ISIS, you know, we were founded the Philos project in 2014. That was, you know, when ISIS really kind of went mainstream. And um, even in the short time that we've been, uh, you know, on the scene, those numbers, Christian population numbers have just plummeted. And so we've been involved deeply since day one at, at a pretty high level, both in, in the political space and kind of the, the media public discourse space, trying to change the conversation, bring a more strategic perspective. But it was during COVID that I kind of sat back, you know, having all of this extra time to reflect on my life, God forbid, you know, sometimes <laughs> too much time is, is not good, but I, I just kind of, admitted to myself, we've been unsuccessful. We've all been, and all of the people who work on this issue. And so I started to think, well, what would be a better way, a a more effective way to help these Christian communities? And uh, right around that time, in in the second half of 2020, there was these headlines about the Abraham Accords, where 
four Arab Muslim countries kind of, you know, in, in, in quick succession made peace agreements, normalization agreements with Israel. And this was really one of the, the high points of the Trump administration's foreign policy, if you ask me. But I couldn't help but notice that although these were the Abraham Accords, only two Abrahamic religions were really represented at the table. It was right. Muslims and Jews. And I thought, well, that's great. I love that. I'm a big, you know, pluralism guy. We don't have to agree on theology to, you know, agree not to kill each other. So more of that, please. But I, I wrote this article for the for the Wall Street Journal where I said, you know, last I checked, there's there there are three Abrahamic religions and the Christians actually in the region need it the most. So how can we harness the momentum of these accords and some other changes happening in the region and kind of steer them in a way that benefits Christians. And that was the, that was the, the germ that, that really began this project called Abraham's missing child. And, um, we're about half the halfway through the project. Now it's, uh, there were three meetings in three different countries over the course of a year. We had our first one in Athens a couple of months ago at which, uh, indigenous Christians, Christians from these communities, some of them Orthodox belonging to this uh, uh, church you mentioned, but coming from other traditions as well, sit together and talk about some of the common problems that they face. You know, each each country is totally different, but there are some trends. And then in that, that was the first summit that we had in summits two and three, then bringing Jews and Muslims from the region uh, to hear what those problems are and hear our proposals for what needs to be fixed. And at the final summit, we uh, this will probably be in September of next year, we will release a, a kind of a, think of it as like a Ten Commandments document, right? Which is not just a one of these standard interfaith documents, we are all children of Abraham and, and things like that, but saying, yeah, we are. But for that reason, we think that these concrete, uh, actions should be done by leaders of Christians with, or countries with Christian minority populations. So talking about religious freedom, but not just religious freedom, also physical security and economic prosperity and cultural preservation, because a lot of times uh, advocates here in the West who care about these communities genuinely and have deeply, you know, good intentions only talk about them as as like people who need to go to church and pray. And the reality is, in most of these countries, you can do that, that kind of minimal religious freedom. The problem is there's no safety. There's no there's no economic prospects. Like you don't want to stay there because where are your kids going to go to university and what kind of job would they have? Do they have any future in this country? Can you preserve your culture, your language? You know, so this is a kind of a holistic set of of recommendations of best practices. And what we're working on with this project that's really unique is getting these Arab and Muslim majority states to cooperate with us. And we've been making the rounds in these countries, also in uh, their, at their embassies in DC and telling them, listen, we're trying to help Christians in order to help your broader society, right? This is helping Christians. Yes, but it's helping the rest of the population. So kind of help us help you um, to, 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 to improve the, the situation of your communities, make them more sustainable. And John, the coolest thing is that a number of these countries are way more interested than probably most Americans would think. Right. And there, there are different reasons why some of them are, you know, because of optics and PR, some of them are more genuine, but bottom line, 
there there are partners in the region that that thesis that we used to have as americans like they all hate us leave it alone you know just let it burn is is actually incorrect there are a lot of people more people after isis in the arab and muslim world who understand as much as we do maybe more than we do that this kind of radical jihadi uh, mentality is even more dangerous to them than it is to us and they it's in their interest to promote uh you know pluralism to improve the situation of these christians and and thankfully we're actually partnering with some of them on this project so we hope to see at the end that some of these recommendations actually get implemented you know maybe right. not all but but some yeah it's very important and also too this um i guess Islamist attitude. This is a pretty darn recent development. Um, when you look at these communities, you know, I'm a history fanatic. I get a little obsessed with my history reading and podcasts. But yeah, you read about, I don't know, people in the Victorian age visiting places like Jerusalem and Cairo, and they're hanging out with Christians, and they're hanging out with Muslims, mm -hmm. and they're hanging out with Jews. And Yes, I'm sure there were tensions among them, but it, but it wasn't, you know, I, I remember back in the 1980s hearing the news and you would have an ambassador from Iraq who was a Christian and the like. It's this um, this development of one faith only in every single country is a pretty recent mm. development. And because of that, it can be changed, especially as these uh, nations just want to modernize, like we saw with the Abraham Accords, which was mm -hmm. really amazing. Uh, it was just like, look, it's better for everybody if you guys get along, do some trade, work together here and there. Like you said, you don't need to agree on all these things, um, but uh, you can live in peace. Yeah, it's, it's uh, one of the least understood aspects of the region and it's because most people just don't know the history but it's true right there have always been issues between muslims especially when muslims are in power and non-muslims are not but and not not like today not like today this kind of like crazy you know either everybody conform to this very particular theological you know vision of society or or get out or die that's that's pretty unique and and unfortunately it's uh, caught on among a certain population. I always tell people there's like, you can almost think of it as right now, there's like an Islamic civil war happening, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes an actual war, but at the very least in terms of ideology, there are, there are two Islams presenting themselves to us. And it's in our interests, um, even just from a geopolitical sense to, you know, ally with, with the side that actually, wants to be neighbors, not only with us, but with, with people in the region who are different from them. And I think that the more we can do that, the more a Democratic administration or Republican administration can do that, the better it will be for everyone. There's a real opportunity right now that can't be missed. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we're seeing efforts that can be um, kind of helped out um, in a lot of places in the world. And a lot of it, too, we are not seeing we do not need to send in the Marines. It's uh, more getting people talking and chatting and finding out all the common interests they have in Armenia, in um, the, the Palestinian authority mm. areas, you know, just all sorts of places. There's a, mm. a fantastic mm. chance for people to find out their common interest and figure out how to work together because it's better for everybody in the region, especially when you see I follow a few on social media. I follow a few Lebanese folks. 
And boy, mm-hmm. their their threads are so depressing because they're just like everybody is leaving our country because yeah. they don't see a future here and they don't you know, dis- discriminate between which religion these people are. People are just fleeing because it's just not working and that hurts everybody. And the thing that I think many Americans miss um, to their detriment is that the region still cares about us, right? There are a lot of friends in the region who are, are almost begging, uh, just like the man in, in St. Paul's dream, right? In Macedonia, come over to Macedonia right. and help us, right? There's There are many people in the region who are, are pro-American, pro-Western, people in Lebanon who are like, please, God, like do anything. And it doesn't take much for the United States to have impact. I think you made a, a very important point just a minute ago when you said we don't have to send in the Marines. And that's a that's a faulty, you know, binary, I think, in most of our minds. It's like, okay, doing work in this region is either sending in the Marines or doing nothing. There are 39, uh, you know, levels of engagement between those two extremes. And sometimes it's just the United States president or the secretary of state picking up the phone, literally picking up the phone, calling one of these leaders and saying, don't do that. You know, right now, the Azerbaijan, I'm not sure when this episode will go live, but as we're recording, Azerbaijan, uh, which is technically an ally of the United States, is is isolating 120,000 Armenian Christians in this small enclave of Nagorno-Karabakh, right? If the United States Secretary of State picked up the phone and called Ilham Aliyev and said, don't do that. That's those are that's not how our allies behave. I guarantee you that blockade would be lifted tomorrow. And yet, you know, Americans have in their mind that, well, there's nothing we can do. It's, uh, you know, it's either fix everything or do nothing. And there are all these kind of interim things that we can do that actually in the aggregate would make a huge, huge difference. And actually, as the Philos Project shows, there's also things that we the people can do to help out yes. uh, the situation between Armenia and Azerbaijan is one. But there's a million things where, gosh, when you thought of when we were leaving Afghanistan, um, the people who were getting Afghanis who are friendly to us, the people who are getting those people out were regular folks. Some were ex-military, some were affiliated with the State Department, some was just some mom in Indiana who was fielding calls from people mm-hmm. and trying to connect people. So there's a lot that all of us can do. The best thing is to get educated about it. And uh, a great place to get educated about it is the deep map. Why don't you tell us about your podcast? Mm. I know when I I didn't even know this existed. I'm like, oh, my gosh, people are talking about things <laughs> that mm. aren't, uh, I don't know, yelling about Elon Musk on Twitter, et cetera. Uh, why don't you tell <laughs> us about the deep map? Yeah, well, I was telling somebody the other day I started the deep map, this new podcast, really for myself. I I listen to podcasts. I follow news in, in opinion journalism pretty, pretty religiously. But one frustration of mine is that so much of the conversation about really any issue stops at, at the surface level. It stops with really with politics, you know, especially in the U S circa 2022. And that's, that's important stuff. There's so much that needs to be discussed politically, but I maybe it's because I'm a person of faith. Maybe it's because of the job that I do. Maybe it's because I spend a lot of time in a very religious part of the world. I'm very convinced and more so every day that 
tons of even this these political debates, these these political conflicts uh, come down to uh, issues of religion and culture. Right. It's the way different people see themselves and their society and, and like explain what all of it is about that that actually drive people's behavior. Right. It's why do progressives in America believe the things they believe and do the things they do? Well, it has to do with what they believe to be true. And if you're not talking about their worldview, if you don't see the world as they see it, you're not, you're not going to really understand anything, much less how to counter it. And so the deep map is, as the name suggests, is an effort to, to peel back some of the, the layers. And in particular in the, in the near East uh, to peel back that very neat color coded uh, political map with all the straight lines and, you know, neat categories and reveal all of the other maps underneath the religious map, the ethnic map, the tribal map, the socioeconomic map, right? The linguistic map and suddenly seeing the region in for, for what it really is. You know, you can't understand the blockade of these Armenians if you can't get inside the head of a Turkish Muslim nationalist like Ilham Aliyev or, or president Erdogan. So that that's the podcast is trying to go deep on, on some of these bigger issues and help, help listeners really like get, get beneath the surface so they can talk about root causes and, and root solutions. So it's been only a few months. So you're forgiven John for, for missing <laughs> it. Um, but each month we take on a new topic. The topic I'm dealing with now is in fact, Armenia next month, we'll be talking about Iran, the, these revolutions and protests in Iran and what the future may hold talking to Iranians, you know, people who've been inside Iranian prisons and, and know, this regime and how it thinks and, and how the people think. So it's really fun. Honestly, I, I, it was a day when I was like, you know, uh, probably like you, I, I have interesting conversations with interesting people all the time, yet I never record them. All I have right. to do is record them, you know, and it's content. So that's, exactly. that's what we're doing. Exactly. And then other people can benefit from it. And um, I tend to be, um, well, let's just say if uh, I was a kid these days um, and acted the way that I did when I was little, um, I would have been like in a riddle and drip, I think, all day. So a <laughs> little bit ADD. So I'm always jumping from topic to topic. But what happens in all these places affects everything else. It's not like, oh, yeah, that's just happening over there. It doesn't affect us. And mm -hmm. once again, that doesn't mean, well, America needs to basically, you know, put a 100,000 strong army or embassy in that country, a lot of it is, as you've noted, making a phone call, um, getting people yeah. interested in this and uh, putting pressure on in all sorts of ways, soft or tougher. But um, it's not like we need to be meddling in the politics of countries. Um, but a lot of times their people are upset about things and they want to change the a certain leader wants to change the subject and they make very poor decisions that hurt other people. So it's just good to see all, how all these pieces, um, you know, if, if we can align in little ways and big ways. Um, it can just help a whole bunch of people on the ground uh, without the need for some kind of a new imperialist project and the like. Yeah, no, God forbid. And that's, we're very, uh, at Philos, we're very um, welcoming of the idea that because we believe religion matters, right, that people choose to believe what they believe. They can't be coerced by definition. And that that consequently means different societies choose different paths. It's not the role of the United States 
to go change everybody's culture and the way they see the world there. It's, it's our job to be an example of what we think the best way is and to protect our interests and in our own way of life and to do so if possible alongside friends. The good news is there are plenty of friends in the region and around the world who want who want to partner and um, just getting people to get past that psychological barrier that we're talking about this. It's like everything or nothing. It's either like a world war two scenario or, you know, we're going to, we'll be back at, back at the house. There's so much that we can do uh, that we're, that, you know, that's, it's all out there. We just have to, you know, there's gotta be leadership. Honestly, it always comes down to that. Yeah. Now one broader question too, since we brought up religion, something before on this podcast, it's like, well, Ricochet's more a politics, current news event site, so I should only talk politics. And a year or two ago, I'm like, boy, everything's mixed together these days. Yeah. Have, have you noticed that uh, people in D.C. or elsewhere um, just noticing how important um, things like culture and faith are to various society? It's not just like pure materialism. Oh, well, we'll ship you a little more grain if you do what we want. But Boy, there, there's I, I feel like many people in D.C. have looked at uh, the world as a 2D issue. And if you don't include faith as well, then, you know, that's when you start seeing things in 3D and seeing how things and there's even broader methods of connection. One, one story I've told before on here is uh, when my girls were little, they went to an elementary school and we became friends with a Muslim family. They're our our girls were the same age difference as their girls and they came over to the house one time and the dad we have very observant muslim first thing he does he walks over to my bookshelf he sees several editions of the bible and he nods and says good good and Mm. and i started to talk Mm. to him and he says one of the things one of the reasons they gravitated to us as a family is they're originally from tunisia he's an engineer here now uh just for a few years And he says, boy, this culture is crazy. And he says, I think you Mm. guys appealed to us because you believe in something. (laughs) As long as you believe in something. And after that, you know, we were, you know, babysitting each other's kids. And my my wife was helping her when she was on uh, bed rest with another pregnancy and the like. Um, There's a whole bunch more we have in common than differences. That's so true. And that's such a great story, John. It's it's emblematic of of similar stories in my own life and, and in others, you know, around me, family and friends. It's uh it's unfortunately a novelty in this day and age for for people to be in the world, but seeing themselves as submitting to something transcendent, right? Something bigger than their own right. lives, their own interests, and even bigger than their own country. And when you when you meet someone like that, even if they're coming from a different tradition, you know, like calls unto like, and you're like, oh yeah, you too. You, you also (laughs) like hold yourself back from, you know, living out every wild impulse that, that you have. Well, that's me too. And those kinds of friendships are really, really strong. And I don't think we've even begun to, to to tap into the power of them. And for, as far as your first point, I, I could not agree more. The 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 2D uh, thing that you mentioned, the way that especially in DC policymakers, politicians look at the world is is like the story of my life, right? And that's really what we try to do at Philos is open up that that extra dimension because if you miss the underlying religious 
dynamics of any given situation, you're missing everything. I mean, I think, uh, you know, you think of Iraq, you know, many people thought we'd go in and everybody was, you know, just dying to live in an American style democracy. And we were blindsided because it turns out religion and religious identities matter to people and they don't it's not like one man one vote you know follow your conscience they vote as a block you know the shiites vote as shiites vote and you know kurdish muslims sunni muslims vote as they do and it's it bedeviled everything else that we wanted to do and i chalked that up to as seeing the world in 2d the good news is i think after trump i think trump opened up a lot of minds or eyes in in dc and around the u.s because so many people were so blindsided by that. Like how, how could he have won? What, what would make people vote for him? And, you know, put aside whatever anybody thinks about Trump, he tapped into um, the feelings of, you know, traditional people, you know, he himself isn't the most traditional guy, but he (laughs) understood that tradition matters to people. And suddenly in, in trying to explain the results of that election, I do think a lot of people who otherwise were out of the loop on that began to realize, wow, okay, there's all of this stuff happening under the surface that we didn't even know about. Like we, we need to, we need to know who these people are, who are, you know, voting on, on matters of conscience, right. On these kind of invisible things that we didn't even take seriously. So there's some kind of process. Unfortunately, it also, I think spawned a, a burgeoning of this counter religion, this secularized, right. progressive, post-Christian, whatever. It's like, okay, well, if you're if you're conservative and traditional, then we are the opposite of that. And we're gonna make a religion out of it, you know, replete with, you know, sacrifices and and you know, excommunications and and all of those other things. So it's it's uh, uh the the bad side of this, but I do think that there's there's a real good side and I hope especially in trying times that people are falling back on faith. I mean, what else is there? Exactly. Especially in times of uncertainty and everything's going pretty crazy in our country and around the globe. Um, Yeah, that that's the thing that can uh, unite a lot of people from country to country and also just get us through. Well, thanks so much for spending time. Where can people find you online? Well, my I'll just give my personal email address, Robert at org. I, I used to be scared of doing that, but it turns out nobody emails me uh, on, on these things. So it's OK. Um, also, I'm on Twitter at R.W. Nicholson underscore. And um, obviously, org. We're on all the all your major platforms and the deep map. Check it out. The deep map, iTunes, Spotify, et cetera. We're we're still early, but would love to grow this community of listeners. Well, fantastic. Uh, You have a very Merry Christmas, sir. Thanks for all the work you're doing. Um, I think it's completely underserved. And I was so thrilled to find out about your organization and the things you're doing. I'm going to be subscribing to the podcast and all the links are in the show notes to Twitter, to the Philos Project, to the Deep Map. Thanks so much for spending time with us. Really appreciate it. Thanks, John. It's been a pleasure. Now, one thing I'm constantly on the lookout for is good podcasting equipment, recording equipment, and also sometimes my kids, they like their musical instruments. My youngest really appreciates anything. We've got her, what, a banjo, a guitar, a mandolin, and a ukulele. So she really likes the stringed instruments there. And a great place to get them is someplace called 
American Musical Supply. American Musical Supply stocks the latest and greatest gear from today's top brands, everything for a beginner to a seasoned professional, everything for the podcaster, home recording enthusiast, guitarist, drummer, vocalist, DJ, and much more. American Musical Supply has the best payment plans. They approve more people and don't require you to open a new credit card. Just use one of your existing ones. Their payment plans vary between 4 and 18 months. You're pre-approved on their 4- and 6-month payment plans with no credit check whatsoever. American Musical Supply has four warehouses across the U.S. and provides fast and free shipping. They keep the best top gear in each warehouse and can get to most of the U.S. in one or two days. It's good to have these places spread across the country. So um, I don't know if you're in California, you don't want getting something shipped by a van from Maine or something like that. Uh, American Musical Supply also has over 30 years of award-winning customer service. So go to AmericanMusical.com and use the King of Stuff promo code KING to receive $20 off your next purchase over $100. Once again, Go to AmericanMusical.com and use the King of Stuff promo code KING and you get $20 off your next purchase over $100. You'll want to spend a lot more than 100 bucks there. And hey, Christmas is coming up. Why not go to AmericanMusical.com, use the promo code KING and get a loved one something very special. Thanks so much to American Musical Supply for sponsoring the King of Stuff podcast. All right, great to have Robert on. Check out his podcast, Other Things in the News. I just kind of went around the web, find out what the heck is going on. If you're on Twitter, I waste too much time on there. Uh, We've had the Twitter files come out. I don't know if there's been one today. I'm recording this on Tuesday, um, but I think part seven of the Twitter files is the latest one. These reporters going into all the background info out of Twitter And this seems to be the biggest because um, a concern for a lot of people is, look, Twitter's a private company. They can do whatever they want with the platform as long as the government isn't doing that. Well, this last last series of the Twitter files, part seven, Michael Schellenberger put that together, friend of Ricochet. And he revealed that government paid Twitter millions of dollars, over three million, I believe, to censor info from the public. Um, They're working hand in glove with Twitter. There was a lot of ex-FBI folks working for Twitter and um, a lot of back and forth communications between the two saying, hey, delete this tweet, block this account, etc. So uh, this could be a big deal. Um, Keep your eye on those Twitter files. We're always uh, concerned about the border. And something that was just supposed to happen this week is Title 42 was supposed to end. Now, this was something that said, look, you can't cross the border. You know, they're still doing it, of course, but you can't cross the border because of covid restrictions, uh, which makes sense if you're trying to stop this disease and certain mayors and governors are still recommending people mask up. You don't want an open border. It just makes sense. Well, um, here in Arizona, our attorney general sued, took it to the Supreme Court, and they have uh, stopped the end of Title 42, which is good news, but it's still up in the air. We don't know what's going on, but the border governors are very happy about that. Um, So at the 11th hour, they uh, knocked this out. In Congress, of course, they're up to their usual shenanigans. On the last show, we talked about this huge omnibus bill they're trying to push before the GOP takes over the House of Representatives in January. Well, 
the budget dropped tonight, and it's ginormous, needless to say. $1.7 trillion with all sorts of uh, goodies in there for uh, various um, special interests that a lot of us don't know about. It's 4,000-something pages, so there's no way anybody read this thing before they're pushing it. Oh, my gosh. I, I, I really don't know... I really don't know how to express the disdain we have for government. We're 31 trillion in debt. And uh, once again, they're just spending like drunken sailors. And as a former drunken sailor, this is something John McCain used to say, but I'm next Navy as well. It, it is not good. It's given drunken sailors a bad name. Congress, are you kidding me? And Republicans in the Senate are fine with this. We want to give a huge victory to the Democrats before they give up complete control of the government. Doesn't make any sense. Um, I know uh, Representative Chip Roy, I've reached out to him to have him on the podcast soon. So hopefully he can be on here. But he is really uh, holding the line and trying to get Republicans to vote against this thing. He's been very good on the issue. He's out of Texas. So um, hopefully we'll be able to interview him about that fully. Okay, the other story that really uh, popped out to me was uh, dealing with Stanford University. Now, Stanford is pretty highly acclaimed, I have to say, but the wokeness, like in most universities, have gotten out of control. The uh, university's IT department decided to roll out what they term the Elimination of Harmful Language Initiative. And uh, what they want to do is purge all sorts of terms you're no longer allowed to say because they might be racist, ableist, sexist, you name it. Here are some of the words on here. Brown bag lunch. Not allowed to say that. Long time no see. You can't say that because what about the visually impaired? Brown bag lunch, I think, is because they think it'll offend people who have brown complexions. I don't know. It makes no sense. Can't use the term blind study. Once again, it's very mean to blind people to say blind study. Never say father. Never say mother. Never say boyfriend or girlfriend. They suggest instead of mom and dad to include um, words like instead of saying, oh, my mom yeah, made me some cookies. Now you have to say my supporter made me some cookies. Um, instead of boyfriend and girlfriend, you need to say partner, beloved or lava. Come on. This is absolutely insane that they're doing this. They say you can't say balls to the wall. And let me clear something up. This is not a dirty statement. Balls to the wall, it comes from the olden days, like World War II, when you had pilots hitting full gas, basically. In those days, you had throttles, and they had a ball on top, kind of like a stick shift, basically. And when you wanted to go maximum speed, you would push these balls all the way to the wall, or the bulkhead of the aircraft, and you would hit maximum velocity. That's what it means. It's not crude. It's not rude. But uh, these people don't know their history. So they think it's uh, we need to ban all these things. But it's crazy. It's broken into 10 different sections of all these things you can't say. You can't say American. You can't describe yourself as an American. That's offensive. It's just crazy. Um, guys, uh, toughen up a little bit. Everybody needs to uh, embrace stoicism a little bit in life because there's going to be words that if you don't even understand the words might hurt your feelings. will stop getting your feelings hurt. It's insane. You are only offended if you choose to be offended. That's just a fact. Um, if somebody insults an article, another brilliant article I wrote, somebody on Twitter insults me. Now, I could choose to be offended by that. 
But I'm just like, no, their brains don't work right. They don't see the genius that I'm bringing to the table. They don't see the uh, double barrel, single malt awesome I'm bringing to the table here. That's on them. It's not my fault they don't get it. And they don't agree with everything I ever write. But uh, yeah, just choose not to be offended, folks. It's really ridiculous. Okay, and for the song of the week, being Christmas, we need to do a Christmas thing. So I was going to find a cool indie Christmassy song. Most of them aren't very good. And uh, it's one of those things, the older I get, the more traditional I like to go. So I'm going to go way back, very traditional. And uh, as you know, I'm of Finnish extraction. And there is a choral group, a four-piece, a quartet called Rajatone. They're out of Finland. They sing in Finnish, if you can believe it. But uh, I discovered this once years ago, uh, just cruising through YouTube, looking at Finnish carols and, of course, Finland, very wintry and things. They recorded this in a very old church, I think built in the 1600s, um, all lit by candles and the like. But uh, hopefully I'm pronouncing this correct since my Finnish is a little rusty. But Heinhilla Harkonnen Kaukalon. It's very sing-song uh, kind of voice, but uh, here is a clip of that. Christmas if you're celebrating Hanukkah, which I think is on night two now, I believe, night two or night three. Um, have a wonderful Hanukkah as well. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We actually will be back next week between the two holidays because I am staying home. Everybody's back at home. All is well in Casa Gabriel. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. Ricochet. Join the conversation.